Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you like this podcast, you will love my new anthology called Moms Don't Have Time to Have Kids. Check it out and you'll hear from 49 authors about all sorts of things moms don't have time to do. All the authors have been on this podcast. Also, check out my TikTok, at with Zibby and Tracy, my other podcast, Sex Talk with Zibby and Tracy. Check out Moms Don't Have Time to Write on Medium. And of course, my new publishing company called Zibby Books. And now back to our daily author interview site and a quick hello from some of my kids. Hi. Hi. Hello. Enjoy the show. Samia Roy is the author of Castaway Mountain, Love and Loss Among the Waste Pickers of Mumbai. Set against the towering garbage mountains at the edge of the city, it follows the improbable life of Farzana Shaikh, a waste picker who was born at the feet of these mountains and grew up in the shadow of Mumbai's rising detritus, finding friends, genes, love, and life. Samia is a journalist and co-founder of Vandana Foundation, which supports the livelihoods of micro-entrepreneurs. Castaway Mountain was among NPR's best-loved books for 2021 and is being translated into several languages. Welcome, Samia. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Castaway Mountain, Love and Loss Among the Waste Pickers of Mumbai. Thank you for having me, Zubi. This is such a pleasure. Where are you these days? Are you in? Where are you for the Zoom in the um, world? Yeah, I, I just moved last week to Berkeley, California to teach at the university here. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, so no, I'm sorry. It's early. <laughs> No, that's okay. Just for this semester, I'm teaching about writing on India, actually. Oh, that's so interesting. 
Okay, would you mind telling everybody what your book is about? Sure, my book is about the garbage landfill of Mumbai. Except when you think of a landfill, you think it's buried into land, but this is actually rising up like mountains that are 120 feet high or like 20 floor buildings. So that like mountains that are that high, just made of trash, packed in with mud. So literally feel like a mountain made up of everything that we used and threw away. And just as India was getting, or Mumbai also was getting wealthier, these mountains were getting higher. And like like cities all over the world, Mumbai was struggling to manage its waste. And so the only people taking trash away from these mountains were waste pickers, who I happened to meet. And I followed some of their lives for about eight or nine years. And this book is about these mountains made of our castaway things and these people who live there and make a life there and the only people who take anything away from there. And what what are their lives made of then? Oh my gosh, what an undertaking to do that for such a long term as a project. It's amazing. Can you explain how you originally met Farzana, who you follow through the book? Yeah, sure. I was a journalist and then I left and started a nonprofit. And we used to give small loans to micro entrepreneurs across the city. And we began getting waste pickers in 2013. And um, they, they approached us saying, Can you give us a loan? And I said, well, What business is this? Like, what do you do? Our loan is going to go bad. Like, because the only thing that you you can pick is with your bare hands so how are you going to grow this business what business is this how are you going to grow this my loan is going to go bad so and the way they presented it was the total opposite they were like this is one business that's never going to is trash ever going to reduce no so you know we're never going to run out of work we can keep growing it we can keep employing people you have no idea how big this place is so they began bringing me videos photos and then I began following them and when I went there it became clear to me that they were they were repaying us perfectly they were earning but poverty was on their person it was in the cuts it was in their bruises that they got when they got walking these garbage mountains. The, their homes were made of the garbage mountains. Their life was on the mountains. They wore what they found. They ate what they found, ready to eat foods. They were cut by glass. They were you know, jabbed by syringes they found there. So, it, you know, when, when we say poverty is not only for money, but it is on their person. It was in the illnesses that they got from working in this place. And so it became clear to me that their life was intertwined with this garbage mountain that we made. And then in 2016, there were huge fires there. So I thought, why don't I write a magazine story about this? And then I began researching that how was this place made and how did it come to be? And slowly it grew and grew and grew and became a book. Wow. That's amazing. Well, you write in such vivid detail about the trash mountains. And there's one image that I cannot get out of my head, which was the image of the three conjoined, the conjoined triplets that were just thrown mm -hmm. away and how there was this mm -hmm. whole history of just throwing away babies, like as trash, just to be discovered with their whole body sort of intact. Anyway, yes, I couldn't get that image of the conjoined triplets out of my head and I couldn't believe that people just left their kids in that way. Tell me more about that. I was like harrowing detail. See, what goes in garbage is something that we don't think anybody's going to discover, right? We, we put it into trash cans or into trash bags thinking this has just disappeared or vanished. So a lo lot of secrets come there, including babies. In a larger sense, in India, we do have this issue of missing girls. 
some of whom are aborted, some of whom who are not even aborted may be born but left in trash cans. And my my hunch is that they are they are meant to disappear. They are, nobody thinks what happens at the landfill that somebody finds them, but you just want them to disappear from your life. What goes there just is out of sight. And so waste pickers would often this is while I use this incident, even at first even I found it unbelievable. So I actually asked many waste pickers about it, and so many waste pickers told me that they found babies, they found dead babies. Oh. Um, it's i mean while it's not the norm that every day you would find one but it's not un, it's not if you have worked there your whole life most people have found or many people many people have found them some of whom came maybe as biomedical trash like just i don't know but some as unwanted babies so they find more girls than boys but they do sometimes find boys as well how many waste pickers did you follow like how many do you or how many did you interview over the course of the project so we used to lend to them, which is how I first knew them. So we must have lent to more than 500, all of whom I interviewed for, at first for loan purposes. But so I knew their stories. And when I thought I would write a magazine story, from that point onwards, there were at least half a dozen who I interviewed for this this book follows four families, but mainly, of course, Farzana and her family, but there are four families who I followed over these eight or nine years and I'm continuing to follow them for different different reasons but but also um, there were many others I would say that even for the book I mean there are you see all these different characters coming and going out and oh uh, you know who live in that lane or who I you know asked but did this really happen like is this possible and they would say yes of course I found it too or I knew this too or uh, you know I had seen this too so I would say hundreds of people were interviewed like while one particular incident was used even just to check it and verify it or you know so many things you feel like what is this real so certainly lots of people were being asked for those kinds of things so what were some takeaways after you went through this and followed this and collected all this data and observation and everything like what was what were some of your main takeaways and findings Sure. I mean, my book, I would say, it's not like a prescriptive kind of a book. It was more introspective a little bit. So it certainly encouraged readers to think that what is one going to this place made me feel what gives meaning to our life. Because if we we accumulate things thinking that, you know, they've certainly, I feel that way sometimes that, you know, accumulating things sometimes, like whether it gives us comfort, like during the lockdown, I felt that food or things, uh, clothes, you know, pillows, whatever, they give us comfort and they do. But if that is what gave meaning to our life, then why do I see it there at the garbage landfill just piled up, squashed together, finding it's there so quickly right like so soon after we acquired it a cell phone heel shoes all the things that we feel give us shine give us comfort if they ended up there then how is it then how are they giving us so much meaning in life so it just encouraged me to think and when I saw waste because also who didn't have so much but they did have relationships and so in some ways you could say that their life was very difficult and it, it is, but in some ways it was filled with a lot and I don't mean to romanticize it by any means, but it was filled with a lot, which is, it didn't present itself to me as a dark place, but as also a place where children were growing up, where they were having birthday parties, teenagers were having romances, they were finding things, you know, a joyful 
also a joyful childhood. And even without having a lot, they did have a lot, which was a very different kind of a thing. And in saying so, I don't mean to romanticize it, but just to that it encouraged me certainly as a reader to, to think and to introspect about what it is that gives meaning to our lives. So that's one. On a more policy perspective, I certainly felt that, I mean, waste is waste and, and the uh, climate impact that it has is certainly something that, you know, that that this brought out, that, that landfills are a major cause of pollution and climate change and that they do need to be remediated across the world. I did visit the landfill in um, New York City as well, Fresh Kills. Yeah. And I also yeah, we have a, so my my kids' school. My little kids' school does field trips there every year. Oh wow! Yeah, and we go and we pick up trash and then we you know explore and you know it's a whole thing. Yeah, it's going to turn into a park now. <laughs> Crazy. So that gave me a lot of hope. So, you know, what really is to be done with this waste? How do cities struggle to deal with it? And that in this case, while the city was thinking from a very technical, technocratic perspective, how do we turn it into ash and the ash into bricks, right? But there are people involved and there are lives involved and how do we intertwine these into any kind of solution as well? So that was certainly something that came out of my research. Amazing. What? Wait. So, tell me about the nonprofit. Are you still running that as well, or you don't do that anymore? Oh, less so. Less so. Less. So. It is running. The foundation is still running, but not at the scale that it once was because I've been busy writing this book and <laughs> that sort of. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. How long did it take for you to write the book? What was your process like? It was accidental. (laughs) (laughs) I had stopped writing, never written a book. So as you can see, it's not written in a very typical you know, journalistic way. It's like a nonfiction novel as it was. So at first I thought that it would be a magazine piece. But then, you know, just the research, like what, what is this place? Like I remember a waste picker telling me, do you know, this is there since colonial times as if it were a monument. But it's not monument. It's not a monument. It's trash. So, you know, just I don't know. What would you 
you saying? How is that possible? So I began looking at colonial archives. And they said, then I heard there was a court case that would, and when I went to court, it seemed like, oh my God, this place is just going to shut down. They seem so purposeful. But when I saw the date, the case had been going on for 26 years. And I immediately thought, what? Like, if it's been going on for 26 years, why is this place still going? So I wanted to find out and it turned out that for 26 years, it, it seemed like it would just close, it would just close, it would just close, but it had not, and it has still not closed. So there were many policy related questions, legal questions, like that, That you know, slowly my research just grew. And also, of course, around the waste because their lives, so many things were happening to them around this period that I kept chronicling it and writing and I was fortunate to get a lot of writing residencies that gave me the time to write in the way that I felt that there had to be a certain grace to their life like it should not be written in a very raw way because that was so many of their characters there was so much grace in their characters and it had to be written in that way. Wow that's amazing I love just the whole determination the way this whole project has evolved just from a deep place of interest Right? It's like you have to write about something that will keep your interest for so long. And look at how you stuck with this topic. And right, you, even the way you talk about it, like wanting to write about it gracefully, because you're right, it does read much more like a story than a reported article or something like that. Right? It's the story of someone's life, which is, of course, endlessly fascinating. And especially growing up in this way. I mean, it raises like so many questions about how we use things and recycling and, you know, how we consume anything really. Like, you know, I always feel now when I'm like putting something in the trash, I'm like, this is so ridiculous. Like all the people who are involved in making this item, right? All the factories and getting it on the shelves. And then I used it and like some sort of packaging, right? Or like of a toy or I don't know what. And then two seconds after I get it, it's in the trash again. <laughs> Off to go where? I, I don't know. It's just like, is, is a reminder for us to all to sort of stop in our tracks and rethink. What was it like at all of your writing residency programs? Like I've never done a writing residency and I've, I'm always so fascinated. Like what do they, how do they help you? What did you learn? Did you get to just toil away in a cabin or, you know, what, what was it like? What'd you get out of it? I loved it because as you know, Mumbai is one of the most hyperkinetic cities in the world. And my first writing residency was in upstate New York in a cabin. In a cottage, I should say. Snow all around. Absolute silence except for the wind. And uh, it just white all around you, like as different as was possible from Maggi Mumbai. And it just slowed my mind down completely. So it was as if this world came to me in slow motion, allowing me to process it, allowing me to capture it. I was alone in my room. But you know that there are the most amazing writers working on their computers in some room next to you. And that itself is very inspiring to know that somebody else is also struggling with their writing, writing, rewriting, throwing away drafts. So that is a very inspiring and wonderful feeling. And when we meet for meals, then, you know, some of the best known writers who you idolize are looking just as, you know, troubled as you feel inside. And then sometimes, you know, just when you go, you go for a walk or you go for a boat ride or something, then you talk about it. Hey, what are you going through or how are you sometimes? And they sometimes writers are like yourself. Sometimes they're not like, for instance, I had the good fortune even of having some fiction writers at writing residencies. Or having music composers or scientists, doctors. You know, when we go for a walk, then we'll just talk about different things. How are you dealing with what you are? 
how how do they structure stories how do they bring out characters in stories how do they use dialogue in stories and you get to learn so much from what they are doing in a very in a very informal or unexpected way sounds amazing it's wonderful could you give me like the short version of how you even got to the nonprofit stage like your mm-hmm. background up until then like where you grew up and when you knew you were interested in this type of stuff like what's your little life story <laughs> So I always wanted to be a journalist. I was, you know, since I was in high school, I grew up in India and I always wanted to be a journalist. And so I studied journalism in the U.S., worked here briefly, went back, worked in journalism. But and I wrote about all kinds of things. You know, in Mumbai, I've written about the stock market. I've written about Bollywood, everything. But I found myself increasingly drawn to these sorts of stories. So once I had written about redlining, which is the practice of, um, you know, at that point, India's economy was booming and it was there was a personal consumption boom so i remember even as everybody would get phone calls would you like a loan to for a holiday to europe would you like a holiday or a loan to you know a wedding to have a big indian wedding you can get a loan but i had done a story that if you did not live in the in a nice part of town did not belong to the right religion that banks could not lend they would just say oh sorry we can't give you a loan you can't open even a savings account and so i had brought out documents to say that what if you lived in this area you they would hang up on you basically on all financial services so i had this in my mind that if i ever have money on my reporter survey savings i would like to do something about this and also about uh, farmer suicides which is another part of the foundation and so in 2010 my father and i he had retired from government service and we started this nonprofit and i had no experience of managing anyone or any organization and so i just was stumbling and learning and it was small but we were growing and it was endlessly fascinating because we were meeting people like this who had their own businesses it was like seeing the city from the bottom up people who made shoes people who made snacks women who made lunches women who collected trash so we were just seeing this amazing perspective of the city how people run many businesses to keep their families growing you see their gumption every day their strength their sense of humor their sense of strong sense of self all of those things that just kept me learning and going every day so much so that i stopped writing and then it was in 2016 when these fires happened and i thought hmm maybe i should write a magazine piece and this book the journey of this book began and so what are you you said you were teaching about writing about india to your students what are some of the things that you're teaching them like what do people have to know about that as a specific genre yeah the students are from america but they're also from italy from spain um from different places and one of the things we look at is obviously india being a very old and ancient society but but a democracy the world's largest democracy and so i encourage them to look at it a little bit as a mirror to the us as well that what are the what are the there's so many like the, the cracks in society like my book also shows and those cracks are along so many lines like gender like race like caste in india class both in the us and india and what are the dem- we are looking at like even what are the democratic ways in which so many of these things can be talked about can be if not addressed then at least how do you have that conversation in countries like in the US and in India and we see them to be a mirror of each other in so many ways like we read stories that appeared in the about 
say about India or about the US and um, like we are, we are studying gender this week, how to write on gender on, on, um, and how to report and write on gender. And I asked them, they're writing, they're writing about, they're reading a story about rural Indian women. And I said, this girl wrote back in her assignment saying, I see very similar struggles in the US also where women are struggling to work, to balance families, to balance the expectations of their families, and yet have a sense of self, have a sense of their own dreams and balance those with what their family is constantly tugging at them for. And I said, that's exactly it. They're not so different, which is also what I hope with Farzana, that in so many ways that she seems so different. And yet she also is somebody in such a different physical surrounding. And yet somebody who wants dreams, somebody who wants to be loved and and to love. Um, And so not so very different. (laughs) Amazing. What advice would you have for aspiring authors? To learn to enjoy it. You know, it's like like writing is like a muscle. And so sometimes I find just every day sitting there at the computer and just typing away and not thinking what have you written. When you write and you rewrite and suddenly it's like the stories. It's once when you see it in nonfiction, it's actually happening. But as you write and you rewrite, it comes alive on page. And so allow that space for the story just to come alive. Don't give up. Sometimes you look at it and you go, oh, this is no good. I don't want to write anymore. But you sometimes have to allow it to come alive. You just write and you rewrite. And sometimes it's not good, but it's your mind clearing. And you, as you keep writing, suddenly, well, yeah, this is exactly how she looked at that moment. Or this is, maybe this is what she was trying to say. So I remember calling Farzana sometimes and saying, is that what you were trying to say at that point? And she would be like, yeah, yeah, I think so. so. <laughs> Allow that thought process to come out on the computer. Sometimes it's almost unconscious as you're typing and you're thinking that that thinking is happening as you write. So allow that space for rewriting. Keep rewriting and something will emerge. That, I love that. That is, if not polished, that is beautiful in its own way. Oh, that's great. Thank you so much. Samia, this has been so interesting. I never would have learned about the waste pickers. Like this is just a class of people's, like not a collection of lives and essentially jobs that I never, ever would have come across or thought about. And now it's changed the way I think about use and trash and everything. And so it's always just so neat to take away something from every book that changes the way I see the world. And your book really did that. So thank you for introducing me and all the other readers to to your characters and their lives and Farzana and everybody. So it's really awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Sibi. It was a pleasure and an honor being with you. Good. All right. Well, take care and thanks again. Thank you so much, Sibi. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.